You're listening to Driving Place-Based Innovation, a podcast series by Newcastle Gateshead Initiative produced in partnership with the Digital Tourism Think Tank. I'm Nick Hall, and I'll be your host for this series where we're going to be looking at how digital and technology innovation is driving transformation of Northeast England's visitor economy. Throughout the series, we'll be sitting down with organizations near and far Balancing a local perspective where we hope to shine a light on innovation in and around Newcastle with global perspectives, bringing together learnings from further afield. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to be sure that you don't miss out on future episodes. For more information about the series or to get in touch, just head over to ngi.org.uk slash podcast, where you'll be able to find out more information and how to get involved. In episode three of Driving Place-Based Innovation, we shine a light on local collaboration, where we'll be inviting two different takes on the power of fostering strong partnerships to get buy-in in pursuit of a bigger vision. First, we head over to meet Amy Whitfield, the budding entrepreneur behind AAA Food Tours, where her tantalizing foodie tours offer an insider's take on the vibrant culinary scene in Newcastle, Northumberland and Durham. Collaboration lies at the heart of what makes Amy's tours truly unique. And as she reflects on her success to date, one thing is clear. Collaboration will remain key to driving future growth and success. Later, we check in with Luca D'Angelo, director of the destination management and marketing organization Dolomiti Paganella in northern Italy. Since taking on the role eight years ago, Luca has seen a huge shift from winter to all-year-round tourism and a complete diversification of the offer. The shift is both driven by the impact of climate change and also the motivation for a more sustainable model for tourism. But at the heart of their success lies strong and consistent vision and leadership, coupled with local collaboration at every point. I'm Amy Whitfield. As you say, I'm the founder of AAA Food Tours. We're an award-winning food tour business and we run food tours right across the region uh, here in Durham, Newcastle, Northumberland uh, and and probably beyond if I have my way this year. Uh, And we've been established for coming up four years uh, now towards the back end of April. Yeah. So tell us a bit about the concept. I know that um, having really quality produce, organic and sustainable produce and food experiences sits at the heart of it. So tell us about um, the, the idea and how it came together. Sure. Um, so it really all started about 11 years ago. Uh, my husband and I, we uh, took a trip to New York. So we went uh, to New York in between Christmas and New Year. We spent four days there. And um, if anybody's been to New York, you'll understand just what a you know bustling, busy atmosphere it is there. And it's an amazing place to go. So we literally dumped off our bags at our, our hotel and we set out into the middle of the city, not really knowing what we were going to do. So it was about five o'clock of an evening and we were hungry, basically. And it was weird because somebody approached us with a black coat, bit of a clipboard. Um, and we we were just thinking where we're going to go tonight, really, to get some food and explore the city a little bit. Uh, and this guy said to us, you know, would you like to do a food tour this afternoon? Um and I'd never heard of, of a food tour before, but it said food. He said food. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that sounds really good. Whatever that is, we're, we're going to do it. Uh, so we ended up um, taking a, a couple of hours trip with this gentleman around, um, you know, a, a, a real, a, a very small area of, of, of New York, so vast. But what I loved about it was the things that we saw and the experiences that we had within that very short space of time. So I just fell in love with the concept straight away. So my memories of that are we went to the meatpacking district um, and uh, we kind of went went in and we were congregated around some rum barrels and a guy brought out like a half lobster and 
I'll be honest, I don't even think I'd probably had lobster at that point. So it looked a little bit like daunting because I thought, how on earth am I going to eat this? So they talked about the local business, why we were sampling what we're having today. They brought out the apparatus. So we were, you know, we were, we, we were taught how to really eat lobster properly and get all the meat out of, you know, the claws and pincers and things. It was really interesting. And then in contrast to that, we went really central and uh, we went to a pizza shop and we had a big slice of New York pizza. We ended up going to a mozzarella bar and I was blown away by that concept because I'm a cheeseaholic, self-confessed. And um, we walked into the, the, the mozzarella bar and there was just so much variety I didn't realize back then naively I just thought there was one variety of uh, mozzarella it was the kind that was sliced and put on your pizza you know and there was so much to choose from and the concept there was you know you had a lovely wooden board with um some spinach leaves a bed of spinach leaves and then you selected a couple of your 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 burrata your mozzarella uh, a glass of fizz and it was sliced and put on top of the spinach with some charcuterie I just thought this is absolutely amazing. We learned so much, um, and really condensed. You know, uh, you know the, the the trip we got so much from from them them couple of hours. Really, I thought what a brilliant concept. And I, I don't think I had social media back then, to be honest. So when we came back home, I kind of did some research really briefly. I thought Newcastle has nothing like that. Some major cities in the country do, but we certainly don't. And that always stuck in my mind for years until you fast forward like seven years later where I began to create the concept and brought it to the northeast. So, yeah, that was how it all began, really. Wow, that's uh, such an exciting experience that you've just described. And I can only imagine then how you've kind of built from this and thought, how can you adapt this to the Northeast with what you've done in Newcastle? So tell us a little bit about the tours that you provide. Um, you've you've created something, uh, I guess you've shared something there that's really, really uh fully immersive and experiential. And is that kind of the idea that you've tried to build in into your own tours? Yes, um, exactly that. Um, the first tour that I ever put together was, uh, and still is the most popular tour that we provide at the moment. It's called A Taste of Newcastle. So um, the idea behind that tour is um, we really go and um, delve into the city and experience the, the really bustling atmosphere that we have to offer here. Um, and we go to some of the best independent restaurants and eateries that the city has to offer. Um, so originally when I put that tour together, I was looking at how, you know, what would that look like? And originally I kind of was going to go down the idea of just local fare. So really northern, you know, northern uh, recipes and brown ale and all the things that we're very well known for, which are amazing things. But I started to think, well, if we just go down the Geordie Fair route, we're going to be eliminating some fantastic restaurants um, within the city, you know, with cuisine from all over the world. So my Newcastle food tour was really my take on the city's best independent restaurants and, and, and markets and things. Um, so we have that tour and then it's evolved from there over the years. We now have a, um, a couple of tours in Durham which are going really well. We launched them last summer. We have an Oosburn tour, which um, incorporates a collaboration with the Oosburn Trust, a charity organisation that looks after the Victoria Tunnel. Um, we have a cheese and wine tour, one of my favourites. Um, and we also have an amazing Northumbrian coastline tour. So I wanted to work in Northumberland. Uh, I live there myself, South Northumberland, and we've just got the most amazing coastline. So um, we have a driver who takes our guests along the coastline uh, for the day. So we have a bunch of tours now uh, with just completely different experiences on all of them. That sounds absolutely incredible. And I love the way that you've been able to bring in that sense of place and the the magnificent scenery together with those different uh, experiences, which um, which both showcase the independent food scene, but also the produce side of things as well. So tell us a bit about collaboration, because I guess to make all of these tours exceptional, you need to find exceptional businesses, entrepreneurs, people, producers. How have you gone about that? And um, how have people 
I guess, responded to your uh, excitement to to bring all of this together. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'll be honest, that was a really daunting part of, um, of, of putting together the business in the early stages, because I was actually on maternity leave with my little boy when I um, started to put together the business a couple of years ago. Um, so I always say, you know, I, was, I just met up with a local uh, business just last week and I and I said to the guy, I said, do you remember I was you were the first person I ever met um, to talk about the food tours? And I was so nervous because as a mum staying at home, I hadn't really seen very many people in general. So to go and pitch this business idea to a local business, it was really daunting. I've got to be honest, it was frightening. Um. It was really well received. So um, what I decided to do early on was to get my foot in the physical door. Um, You know, for me and my experience, emails, you know, don't work so much. You need to really go and knock on the door and see that person and hopefully show your enthusiasm about the idea that you've got. And that I think that helped me massively. Just, you know, you know it was a daunting thing. But to go and, and knock on the door and say, can you listen to the idea that I've got? So in general, it was really well received. Everybody was open to the idea of collaborating with me. But in honesty, people just didn't really know what it was. So until we actually brought our first group of guests along to the restaurants and they saw the mechanics of it all and the benefits that it had to them, you know, that was when they really started getting excited about what we were what we were we were doing together. Um so it's uh yeah it, it it was all about just getting getting in and speaking to them face to face um and telling them about this wonderful idea that we had that would benefit them and us so it was really yeah like i said it was really well received yeah amazing and uh, really interesting to see that experience of yeah exactly having to go straight in the door and and talk to people face to face we we do a lot behind the desk when we start a business or when we try to grow our business but i think you've also seen this other side of the tourism and hospitality business which is the face to face side and sometimes you can have a, a lot more success just approaching people in more of a human way um tell me about that human aspect how does that come across in your tours are you looking for storytellers do you try to bring out the personality behind the different people who make up that experience um tell us kind of about the role that they play and perhaps uh what role they play also as ambassadors for the northeast uh food scene Yes, absolutely. So that's exactly what we do. We 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 bring the the business owner to the the you know the forefront really on on all of our tours, because you know one of the things um about these tours um is that you know as a tour guide we're talking about local history as we're walking along the city, but before we get into any restaurant or any market, we're really homing in on why we've chosen to work with these guys and what makes them exceptional in the city uh, and you know why we've wanted to collaborate with them. So a good example of that is we work with uh, the Granger Market, which is a wonderful indoor market in Newcastle in the heart of the city and I'm an advocate for all markets we work with Durham Market also and I, and I just love the atmosphere in those places because we've got you know sultry where you know the markets can be quite cold sometimes you know and they have busy days they have more quiet days in particular that particular market has you know it's undergoing quite a bit of construction at the moment um so you know some traders do have it tough and what i always say to my guests is you know even though all this work's going on in the market these traders are still you know producing some amazing quality food uh and uh, i need to get in there and see them so we talk to the the, the producers the owners um face-to-face mostly where possible obviously restaurants are a little bit different because we've obviously got a business owner so sometimes we have a business owner that's in the background they're really pretty good at coming out and coming to the table and asking if we've had a great day where have you been that day and also talking about their business I find that um, restaurateurs and sole traders they like to they like to talk about their business um and um and really showcase for themselves what what they do um 
but we've got some really good relationships with them. Um, and we have a lot of banter. So, for example, the Granger Market, it's a lot of fun. We go to a local fishmonger where uh, Lindsay Brothers, they've been in the in the market for a number of years and we'll open the oysters and they're having good fun with us, you know. So guests are laughing and we'll have a bit, you know, that, that good old-fashioned Geordie banter. And it's it's so... It's an integral part of these tours. It really is. It must be so nice to have this sense that you're meeting the people behind these incredible businesses that each in their own have uh, amazing reputations. And perhaps as a normal diner, you might not even get that chance to meet the owners. So I guess you're bringing something really unique um, and something that really connects people to that uh, to these to these entrepreneurs that have, have founded these incredible businesses. What's the mix of of guests that you've seen? Do you have uh, a good mix of uh, kind of traditional tourists who are visiting and perhaps come from quite far away, as well as locals as well? Yeah, I mean, you know, to be completely honest, when I initially was putting together some market research. I thought, A, this business was going to be seasonal, to be honest. I thought it was going to be a more seasonal business, down tools for a couple of months almost in the winter months. And it was going to be strongly primarily, uh, you know, guests from overseas, tourists coming into the area, etc. Obviously, month on month, the ratio does change. But we have a thriving business. I've got to say, and I'm, I'm really pleased to say that, but it is an all year round business. And I was astonished about the amount of local guests that come to the tours and they're looking for an alternative day out. Um, so they might be thinking, you know, I've got a birthday celebration, an anniversary, or maybe just ladies of a certain age and maybe... Um, you know, they've gone to school together, but they found themselves living in different parts of the region. And once a month, they come together and they're looking for, you know, something different as an experience. And also corporate, the corporate market's growing quite steadily at the, at the moment um, because local businesses have established that it's it's a nice, relaxed way to network. Something a little bit different coming along on these tours. The food tour works quite well for businesses. Um Tourism is so strong as well, uh, particularly now we're over COVID. Last year, I saw really great numbers coming from uh, the local ships, coming into dock at North Shields, coming in and looking for an experience for a few hours. You know, people coming from all other parts of the country that want to come and see what the Northeast has to offer. Maybe spending a couple of days in Northumberland, a day or two in the city. I've got a healthy mix, I've got to say. It's a real good mix of people. What we love as tour guides, we meet people from all sorts of different walks of life every day and we enjoy having a chat to them. That's really great to hear. And I think it's so inspirational to hear that uh, an industry that is often perceived as a seasonal industry, one that perhaps um, struggles to create jobs, to create opportunities, for example, in the low season, in the winter season, is actually one that creates a lot of opportunity year round. But if you're ready to embrace that diversification uh, that, of course, many businesses have gone through with COVID, but of course, as a relatively new business, you've seen diversification built in right from the beginning. So you've been able to really embrace all of the different markets. Tell us a bit about how technology plays a role, your kind of digital presence and those different sales channels that we obviously focus a lot on trying to get right. Where would you say most of your business is coming from or how, how is that split when you look at the digital landscape yeah um a good mix really i mean i do have my own website so um you know we offer tickets to be purchased via the website which is probably uh, one of the most popular um avenues to go to channels to go through to book uh, one of our tickets we're also on viator airbnb um with the ngi we've got an amazing uh, platform with them we get a healthy amount of, of business from them also um the likes of social media as well so instagram facebook linkedin um we use all of the social media platforms now we talk about it, you know, potentially innovation later on. I've got a good story about that. I did a talk at Newcastle College last week and they were all asking if I'm on TikTok. Now, I'm not, <laughs> but I've been told to get on TikTok. So one of my plans this week is I promised, I made a pledge that I would be on TikTok by the end of this week. So that's, um, you know, I'm learning as I go as well. Um, so yeah, a healthy mix of, of, of ways to um, to engage with my, uh, you know, the business and obviously also book as well. 
Yeah, so that uh, diversified kind of channel strategy is really working out for you. They're not putting all your eggs into one basket, but as you mentioned, Viator, the website, partner channels, and of course, social. So I guess everybody's now going to be keeping an eye out for how your TikTok uh, venture goes. <laughs> Good luck with that. I know it's uh, it's not easy to get right, but I think we definitely salute you for uh, trying to embrace that. Tell me a little bit about innovation generally. What does this term mean to you? Because it's innovation is a term that we use quite loosely sometimes and I guess it means different things to different people yeah for me I mean it's it's all about you know coming up with new ideas and new um you know new experiences whether that be through new product new service um for myself it's so important as a business to um you know always be thinking of of the next new thing not be complacent and not you know be be thinking you know i've got the business model right here it's doing so well you know we'll just keep this running as it is for me as a business owner if you want to grow we've always been you know we've always got to be thinking um on how to either enhance ex- existing experiences or products um or coming up with new ideas so for an example for me you know the tiktok's a great example of that you know it's like because you know whether leading food to it uh in, in the, the northeast we, we need to be on tiktok and you know that's going to hopefully be, be excellent for the business but the other example is we run a northumbrian coastline to it which is doing so well but this year i've been looking to you know how can i enhance that experience for my guests so one of the ideas that i've got this year is we go and uh we go and sample some food and drink from a local artisan bakers uh in a lo- lovely place called almouth along the coastline currently we pop in we go and chat to the the owners and it's lovely experience but we're right on the the wonderful seafront they've got a brilliant beach there so this year when the weather allows i'm thinking why not take a couple of bistro bistro tables and you know get them on the get them on the sand we'll we'll sample that produce right on the sand and when the weather's good we've got an amazing coastline let's make use of that when we're out on our afternoon it enhances the experience for the the guest um you know and i think it makes us stand out a little bit so i think we've always got to be looking and keeping moving as business owners how we can really you know develop existing products as well so innovation for me it means a lot of different things but as a business uh you know we should always be thinking about that you know and maybe readdressing in, in our business plans looking at things that we thought about you know, before we started the business, looking at things we haven't done, maybe look to implement them in the business. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's something that I think about quite a lot. Incredible. Well, I think you perfectly summed up what, at least for you, is the heart of, of being innovative as a business, um, always looking to bring on new ideas, uh, never being complacent and always thinking about, yeah, how you can embrace new opportunities, new ideas and keep developing things further. That was Amy Whitfield, who I'm sure you'll agree is certainly a passionate young entrepreneur with a lot of promise ahead. Back to Italy for the second time in the series, we're now going to head over to the Dolomites, where Luca D'Angelo reflects on the change witnessed in tourism over the years and the increasing importance of involving different communities in the process of transformation. I'm Luca, I'm uh, 45 years old, so I'm a um, destination manager here at Dolomiti uh, Paganellas. I think that's my probably eighth year. I'm lost, lost in count, actually. I think it, I'm entering now the eighth year now. And um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a journey for me. When I started, I was coming from different experience in another uh, DMO, always in Trentino. So we are in Northern Italy, let's say this, maybe some people, they, they don't know us. So Trentino is in the northern tip of Italy, uh, in the Alps, of course. So we are an alpine destination, very close to the border of Austria. Uh, and um, our area, it's not huge, even if it, we have changed something on the last couple of years, because there's been a, a revision of the tourist organization in Trentino. So now our area is a little bit bigger, considering when we started. When we started, there was just five villages, the original 
DMO in the original area. Now it's, we have 13 villages and we also have gained, basically, we are, we are lucky to work with a, with a territory it's down the valley and we work especially on wine tourism. So now we have basically a complete package of products coming from uh, the winter tourism, the outdoor tourism in summer, and also now wine tourism and um, discovering wineries. So it's really exciting for us, this new, new journey. Um, Dolomiti Paganella, it's, um, again, it's, it's really close to Verona. It's, it's one, one hour and 15 minutes from Verona. That's the main, the biggest city. Also Trento is the, one of the most important city. And uh, being so close to such um, uh, cities and very close from the motorway as well, uh, it's a really important uh, strength for us because in only 20 minutes, you're basically on the slopes or on the bike trays or on the Dolomites, basically. And the Dolomites are part of our um, product. Uh, you know that the Dolomites are um, UNESCO World Heritage. So it's really important for us and it's uh, iconic. We are, we are not the only one that uh, have Dolomites, luckily, because we don't want Dolomites just for us. We share this with other territories, with other areas. But that's really important uh, for us to, we're really lucky, we feel really lucky to have uh, such an incredible, uh, spectacular mountain range uh, with us here. And also, of course, Lake Morveno and uh, this very, very uh, attractive lakes is being uh, awarded for a long time as the best uh, lake in Italy from the, one of the most important environmental organizations in Italy because of the quality of the, um, the water, of the, all the sustainability action that uh, the community takes into account. And also, we are we're working a lot with Lake Morbeo. Maybe we can talk about this later. Amazing. So, in, indeed, the, the backdrop that you have as a destination is incredible. It's iconic and it's world famous and strategically uh, very well positioned as well, um, having access to those really key metropolis areas, but also um, having a really, really good access to the international tourism market. Now, traditionally, many people might have made uh, a wrong assumption that winter tourism is what dominates your offer. And perhaps in the past that has been the case, but you've been able to bring about this really big shift. And I think that's probably reflected in just some of the different um, strengths and key kind of product aspects that you highlighted just in introducing that. Tell us a little bit about um, how the destination has been traditionally positioned in the past and how you've started to make this major shift over the last eight years under your leadership to really move it towards an all-year uh, tourism offer. Yeah, this has been really a journey for us. Um, usually in the Alps, uh, the winter season is the most important. Or used to be one of the most important ones. Uh, when I when I was uh, when I arrived here in the Dolomiti um, Paganella, uh, summer was a really pretty good actually. And when we say summer, uh, okay, just we need to clarify this. It's not just winter against summer. It's winter and other three seasons: spring, summer, and autumn. But that's why we say now we like to say that we are a no season uh, destination. Um, but uh, again, when we started, winter was predominant. Uh, in terms of volumes, um, in terms of pressure, even if they were, the, the season goes from December to March, end of March, our mountains are not so high. Uh, the, the highest peak where you can ski is 2,100 meters. So there are other destinations in the Alps where you can ski much higher, up to 3,000 meters. Uh, but we are lucky actually to have water. We're lucky also to have the position of the slopes a little bit north face. So it keeps, even if you know, the, the climate change is becoming very tricky to uh, let people snow and producing also artificially. Uh, yeah, but the, the journey started with, with the winter really strong and the summer was already good, but even the perception was the, like uh, um, the lower season, the, the, not the unlucky season, let's say like this. And um, it was already, we had already a lot of uh, tourists coming, but uh, we didn't have any strategy basically for spring, summer, and all the, the three seasons. And um, so when we started in 2015, uh, with this new strategy, basically, that we designed, uh, we saw that, uh, that winter was already a mature product, and it is a mature product, still working, very good, but it is a mature product. And um, so you, you can't grow too much. And also in the last year, we are 
facing a lot of challenges related to climate change. And especially this year, like December was really, really hot. Uh, luckily, we had a little bit of snow at the beginning, but we know that other destinations in the Alps, uh, even northern to us, Austria, or even some destinations in France, they struggle. But it's a matter of statistics. This year, we were a little bit more lucky, and we don't know about next year. The only thing that we know that the temperature are rising a lot. And um, this is actually also a problem for summer because the water supply could be tricky. But this is, uh, you know, it's, it's complicated. Maybe we can talk later. And um, so when we start this journey, we saw a lot of opportunities in designing new experiences and new products. Um, the destination was performing pretty, already pretty well in terms of, especially related to the family products. So a lot of Italian families, let's say, uh, used to come here, but they're still coming. Uh, for for um, the summer holidays, mainly from let's say 20th of June, after June, when the school closed, uh, the school are going to close, closed, and till the end of August. That's the peak season for 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 Italy. Um, but we um, understood that we had a lot of potential, especially in May, in June, and also October and November. So when we started designing the the bike destination. Uh, and you know this, you know this example because we talk a lot, but we're still developing actually. So there's a lot of news coming up. Um, we started with only six trips, but there was a potential over there because we saw new kind of people coming, new kind of targets, different seasonality. And so we said, okay, let's let's work on this. We thought that we are, we think that there are a lot of potential. And uh, so we start with lift companies and with the municipalities. We took care of this and we're still taking care of all the development of the bike product. And as I always say, the bike product now is really successful. So we started in 2015, just to give you some numbers. Uh, we started with around 4,500 4, bikers. Uh, we can count them because they are buying basically the bike pass. It's like, it's like the ski pass because our bike product is more into gravity, so you basically go down it. And you buy a ticket to get access to the, to the lift. And, uh, and now, in, in the last season, 2022, we, um, we, we reached quota of 42,000 uh, bikers. So there was a big, big <laughs> smashing uh, numbers growing. And also during COVID, I have to say, the bike product was anti-crisis. Even if we lost uh, some part of the season, especially, you know, June and May, it was really tricky a couple of years ago. But still, we had a lot of uh, guys and girls coming. They want to ride. So it was really important for us um, to have this kind of product. And um, yeah, but what, what happened actually that um, in summer, what is it's important to say that, that summer is really different from winter. Winter has been dominated by the ski product, even if it's changing now, but um, summer, it's a multi-product uh, approach. It has to be like this. Of course, you need to find your way. You need to find where you can do the best. And we did this with the bike product, but we know that it can be like winter. So we can't be only a bike destination. We need to also to offer uh, trekking, outdoors wine tourism now. So it's a multi-experience vacation in summer. Maybe you can be driven by a stronger motivation like biking, but maybe your family is not biking and they want to go to the parks, they want to go to find the animals, they want to taste wine maybe, or you can do a mixture of this. Um, and, but bike for us was a, a really some, something very important because we, with the lift companies, we decide together to open the, the season very early. So now, just to give you an example, uh, to understand that why we can say that we are no season. The lift company in the ski aspect, in the ski, in the, ski, in the winter uh, dress, let's say like this, uh, they're closing the 10th of April, or, or they're planning to close the 10th of April. We will see, but it will depend on the weather. Uh, now, actually, it's a little bit better, but it was really hot. And, um, and the bike trip, the first bike trays. We, we, we're going to open three bike trays, the eight of April. So there is no stop anymore, basically. We know that the flows are not the same. With biking, you start gradually. You don't have like thousands of people at the beginning. 
but that's a, a signal that uh, we're giving also to uh, to hoteliers to all the system that the thing is working here. And it goes up to uh, the beginning of November, basically. So now our uh, three season, also in terms of uh, lift companies opening, it's much longer than the winter season. And so the, the, the opening of the lift also helps a lot. The hoteliers also helps uh, maybe the huts, uh, the alpine guides to organize other services, other experience. So it was like a, a testing for us and open a lot of opportunities for others as well. But again, what is really important that in summer, especially in the Alps, you can be really good at one product, but it can't be the only product like okay. winter. I think you've really shown, uh, when we talk a lot about diversification of the product offering, I think you've really given us a much clearer idea of what that really has to look like for diversification to really be something that can actually drive the destination forward. And uh, well, very impressive. I have to say, I, I was expecting a bigger gap there with the lifts uh, closing and opening. Um, there's virtually no gap. So I guess <clears throat> this also demonstrates the importance of the supply chain that exists within tourism. As you mentioned, there's these kind of hero products which stand out. They help you to put the destination on the stage, if you like, whether that's through content or just through reputation. But then you've got all of those other experiences which are as rich and as invigorating, but perhaps uh, don't captivate in quite the same way uh, because they're maybe just not quite so iconic. Um, so I guess here, collaboration is really, really key. And I know that you've you've had to work with the industry to move the needle, if you like, to start to make that shift over this period. How has that looked like for you? How, how have you approached collaboration? I mean, like being, if you want to work on the DMO or being a destination manager or running such a business as a, as a DMO, you need to work in collaboration because I always say that we are in the middle between the guests and the community, basically. But we don't owe anything. So we, we can't manage anything that it's our, basically. It's not the normal company working with DMO. So you need to collaborate. It's the only way to go on. Um, Talking about, for example, what we did with the bike uh, sector, it was the first time, for example, that we um, collaborate so intensively with, with the lift company. And now, basically, we are running and we're taking care of all the, um, the products from designing new trains, maintaining trains, marketing and communication, branding, sponsorship events. Um, so we, the, the strategy is all designed by us. Of course, we had a lot of, we have already, and we'll have a lot of meeting with lift companies. I say lift companies because they are the main stakeholders here. Of course, then there are the guides, the, the rental. When we started, we had just one rental. Now we have eight points of rental. So just to give you an idea how the business is growing. And, um, but uh, what I feel it's really important, also in terms of collaboration, that you need a clear strategy. Otherwise, people don't understand, especially the industry. They won't understand you. It's, it's really complicated for them. They are stuck in their work. They do a lot of jobs. They work hard. And if the strategy is not clear, if you don't show where you want to go and how you want to go there, it's, it's going to be very, very tricky. So if you change a lot of time your strategy, and sometimes you have to say no as well, because you we have this idea. We want to go there. So wait, wait. We, we will see. We, we work together and we will go somewhere. We will arrive somewhere. So collaboration in this way for us, it's, uh, it's very, very important. It's tough. It's very tough uh, because the, uh, the industry is not always like you think. Uh, uh, but uh, you need a lot of empathy. You need to enter into their, their vision. You need to understand their meetings. Sometimes you need to go, you need to go a little bit further, also their meetings, if you want to change, if you want to create a big shift. Otherwise, if you just follow the actual meetings, you won't find any space for, for success or for innovation, basically, uh, for changing. Um, so we collaborate with a lot of people, with, like from the smallest stakeholders to the, to the, to the, to the bigger one, as, as the lift companies are really powerful. They have a lot of money, of course, they can invest. But um, we found this model very successful. So clear strategy that the DMO has got, 
with controlling some of the aspects, the majority of the aspects, especially the most strategic one. And also financially, the lift companies are much more powerful than us because they can get, for example, all the money from the lift, from the bike mass or the ski bus, whatever, and they can invest. So our role is to show them how they can invest. And listen, what, what, something is really funny. When we, um, when we design, we were designing the, the bike area, it was at, at some point, I think four years ago, that um, everybody wanted to do easy float rates. We say, yes, it's fine, but we can't do easy float rates everywhere because it will be the same. I mean, the, our main strength now as a bike carrier is diversity, also inside the product, because you can have easy float rates, medium float rates, technical single trays. So the diversity gives you the panoramic, of course, that there are, we are lucky. We can just uh, power up the panorama and the, the scenery, of course. But without a clear strategy, uh, without a guide, basically, as we're doing, uh, maybe um, we could expect a lot of repetition, a lot of similar stuff, uh, disorder, basically. So with, with this strategy, you, it's, it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy, absolutely, but it's easier to guide stakeholders into a clear uh, into a clear goal. This is just an example, of course, on the bike, but it works for, for the family product, it works for the outdoor. We work a lot, for example, with Alpine guides in developing experience, what we call top experience, um, in the, especially trekking and bieferrate, uh, uh, climbing, etc., and also on the wine tourism now that we are developing. This is kind of different because when we are on the original destination, we had a lot, I mean, tourism was, the, it is the first industry. So we were at around 2 million overall estates. We didn't count, we didn't say this before, but uh, and now 65% are from April to, to November and 35% are from December March, so that's the winter season. Um, so that's how the overnight states change. So that's a really, really huge success story. Um, and I, well, congratulations, first of all, because I, I know that's definitely um, as, as you make it sound easy, it's uh, it's a lot of work involved. But I think you you certainly help. I think people to understand why a clear brand proposition and a clear vision behind your work that guides your strategy is so important. These are not just buzzwords that we use in marketing and in kind of brand speak. They really do allow us to give that sense of direction and to get everybody on the on the train, if you like, towards the same uh, destination. And I think it's really interesting what you talk about because you've achieved growth at a time, at, during a period where much of the tourism industry has perhaps been a little complacent um, and talked a lot about the problems of tourism, the problems of over-tourism especially. And I think you've shown here, um, as any investor would look at a, a product or a company or a brand and say, I want to see room for growth. I want to see how this product can scale. Actually, what you've been able to demonstrate here is that in a very unique industry like tourism, uh, you can actually create that growth and scale um, but spreading that out without actually creating those flashpoints where then everything breaks down. But I know that as you've been through this process, you've also involved uh, the local community in that. And you've launched initiatives like the Future Lab. I know that you've uh, worked a lot. You mentioned uh, the lake earlier, and I know that you've also done a lot uh, around education. So tell us a bit about the motivation for that, first of all, and how that's all come together. Yeah, the Future Lab has been a journey, still actually a journey. Um, we started in 2000, the first thinking, the first reflection around the Future Lab started in late 2018, so much before COVID. And uh, we launched the, um, the idea in October 2019, so it was already before COVID. And uh, the idea around was to design together with the community the destination of the future. Um, being uh, showing that uh, to the community, and when I say community, I'm not saying just the industry, of course, I'm saying the world community, also people that are not working strictly related to, industry, to the tourism industry, even if in a destination such uh, as, like Domiti Paganella, the, the tourism industry is the most powerful one. 
and almost everybody is linked with, with the industry, with the tourism industry. Maybe if you are an entrepreneur that works with food, but you work with hotels, for example, or you are a plumber, but you're still working with hotels or apartments, they're serving tourists, right? It's, everything is connected. Uh, but we launched this idea because we wanted to uh, motivate also the community to be more responsible for their future shaping the future, having the responsibility to shape the future, not just passively waiting for something to happen or the market to shape our destination. So we're just changing the, the mindset. And uh, when we launched in 2019, you know that we worked around four tough questions. Was the DNA, so who we are now, who will be in the future, why the people should come here and not another place in the Dolomites. It's full of nice places. We're lucky, but we know that it's there are a lot of nice places around us. The second one was the role of the new generations. This is really still really, really important for us because all the 99% of our companies are run by families here. So, uh, and we know that some of the young generation are not so much into tools as before, basically, because they're looking for different businesses, different approach, um, the, the, what we call the model 24-7, is not working anymore, especially in the hotels where, like, maybe the, the dad is doing everything. He's doing the chef, he's doing the reception, he's doing the gardening, he's doing, he's doing the social media, he's doing everything. But this was part of the success of, of this destination and a lot of destination jobs. So, as a guest, when you enter a hotel or a services or a restaurant, you feel that you are you enter into a family. So, that was nice. It is still nice. We want to keep this. But also, we know that. Um, you know, the young generation have different expectations, so they want to change also. They don't want to stay 24-7. They, they use more technologies, but it's, it's not easy, it's not always easy to change and to work with your parents because, you know, path dependence is one of the most critical uh, things to change. And so the third one was the role of the climate crisis. Uh, again, that's why we are shifting into also no season because we, know, we still know that winter it's really, really important. But we also know that a lot of opportunities are around other um, inside um, other uh, season. And the fourth one, uh, most important probably, uh, and we did use the word sustainability. Even in 2019, um, we used the code balance. So uh, finding the right balance between the people living here, between the guests that are coming, and between the nature where this meeting happens. Basically. And it was the fourth question. And we started this journey with a lot of workshops, a lot of meetings, and then COVID happened. So we had to change all the methodology, of course. But it was really important for us to have started this work because a lot of entrepreneurs, they just attached to this idea of future, especially about a, a good future. Like during COVID, you know, I mean, we, we've been through that. So uh, even if it's not nice to talk now, but we've been through that. There was a lot of pessimistic view about the future, about especially on tourism. But having started the future lab before, it really helped us to navigate into the difficult times. Uh, now we are, um, or now actually, one year ago we developed what we call the Charter of Values. Uh, it's published on uh, on our website, uh, the Future Lab, and uh, it's basically represent the ten values that, that are guiding us into into the future. And, uh, and now we are in the phase where we're developing projects because from values, now we are developing projects. And we have basically two pillars. The first one is working on, I will, I will use the word now, sustainability projects, but real projects, and we, we can talk about this in a while. And the second pillars, um, I'm not, I don't know what is what is important. I think they are both important. It's working on a concept of a new narrative. Because um, I think that as a lot of destination, even ourselves, we did a lot of change in communication and we, we, are, we enter already into a less branded style, old style communication. We're not buying any more print, uh, magazine, uh, advertising. We're just doing uh, digital, basically, communication and PR. But we're still under a um, mindset that it's an attractive mindset. So basically, I'm telling you why you should come here because it's nice. Because we have the tolerance. 
because we have Lake Volcano. And this is still okay, but it's not enough. So that's why we're entering now into a new phase, but we will need all the collaboration from all the stakeholders, all the community, where we would like to communicate also our work values. So if you come in here, you should know why we, why and how we do things and why we, we're acting like this, why we are offering this kind of product and maybe why we are asking you not to do this, okay? And this is really linked with a sustainability project we have developed, especially the one I was uh, anticipating in the beginning, for example, in Lake Molveno. Um, we are really into this now, into this phase, and we would like to have something, uh, some probably experimentation during this summer. Uh, Lake Molveno in summer, uh, it's really, it suffers of, I would say, maybe we can say over-tourism, um, especially because this, the lake is at the bottom and the parking are really close. So, in, especially Saturday and Sunday, they get a lot of uh, uh, daily visitors, especially. And um, it's really tricky to control them because we, we know the numbers of tourists that are staying here and they move from the different village. They, they don't use the car. The majority of them, they use the public transportation that they, we organize. But people coming from Verona, for example, or Trento for a daily um, Saturday at the lake, enjoying the lake, they're really tricky to control. So now we're working around um, two ideas. One, it's carrying capacity uh, work. So we would like to know what's the, we say number, if this number is not, it's too easy, but uh, what, what is the balance, basically, for that place? to keep the metro aspect, to keep um, also the quality of the life of the resident, because when it gets really packed, we have queue, we have people uh, complaining, we have tourists that are complaining, because they say, ah, listen, I pay to stay here. I, don't, I didn't pay to, to listen uh, or to smell, you know, the smog of the cars just waiting to go into the parking. Uh, so that would be the first one. Once we have this uh, and this kind of um, strategy, we would like to develop also a new, um, a new way to uh, arrive at the lake. It could be either with um, maybe changing the numbers of people that can go to the parking. You can even be communicating much before you arrive, how many numbers are left, for example. It can even be like booking your parking. If you are not booking, you can't come. I know this sounds tricky. I know this sounds maybe not nice but i think maybe i think we will go in something in um, this direction it's not defined yet so we, we're still working with the local municipality and especially with the public municipality because it's very much a public choice so we need to add them especially the mayor especially all the people that are working around the municipality to add the power to add the, the tools also to go to the community and say, hey, listen, guys, maybe last year we had the parking contained 1,000 cars. We're going to 600 because we believe that's the right choice. It looks easy to say, but it's not. It's not. And so we, we are helping them to take the right decision with the right tools, with the right um, you know, testing, with the right also uh, methods uh, that we are experimenting and testing now. So that, that's a big project for us. And um, I think that uh, it will be, uh, be finished next year. I think this year we need more, um, more studying. We need to also understand more in details the flow of the tourists, how they move, for example, and testing maybe some pilot projects, some pilot uh, experimentation. Uh, and another project that we are running uh, quite big, it's uh, what we call Dromiti Paganella Calculator. We're working with Osprey Archit, I'm sure you guys know. Um, for we, we develop a, a specific tool inside Archit for hoteliers, for lift companies, for restaurants, for everybody uh, who wants to join to calculate, of course, the CO2 emission, but not only to basically um, calculate the waste, uh, water, uh, food supply. And with the idea of calculating CO2, but we don't want we have no idea of certificating ourselves uh, now. We want to show that there is a lot of space for improvement. If you don't calculate, if you don't calculate your impact, you don't know how to improve. 
And so that's a tool that we are developing. It's not ready yet. It will be ready, I think, in uh, two or three weeks. We already launched the community, but now we'll be, we'll be we will enter into the engaging uh, phase. So that's a lot of work to do. And also we developed the last thing, uh, what we call the manual of the good sustainability, good practice that we distribute into uh, 6,000 people that work, that works and live here. It's just a nice tool. Uh, very easy, printed, but sometimes print still working, uh, pretty much. And um, now basically everybody has got it. It's, uh, it contains some uh, tools, some tips, some tricks on how to, you can improve your impact, basically, even as uh, normal uh, people working with not not in tourism, but also for uh, tourist companies. Wow, uh, you've really worked across so many different areas. And I think uh, one of the things I was going to note was that when we talk about sustainability, which is a conversation we increasingly have now, perhaps even on a day-to-day -day basis, um, it seems that the destination has been defined uh, by sustainability over many, many years, the shift in, in tourism that you've had to make and that you've also seen opportunities in has, of course, um, got some element of that incorporated into it. But at the same time, uh, when we talk about sustainability in this context, we're talking about those really problematic areas, those aspects of what we do in our industry that potentially can harm or damage the environment or local communities. And uh, it's very impressive to see how you've been able to identify the different issues at play and start to work towards them. And at the same time, the complexity, because at what point does our domain as a whatever we want to call these organizations, DMOs, DMMOs, destination organizations, at what, at what point does it no longer become our responsibility and it becomes somebody else's? And I think you've shown us perhaps a different way of working where that really integrated relationship with the destination, uh, with the municipalities, uh, with the local residents can actually be interwoven into the work you do. Um, as a last point to end on, how would you describe innovation. I think you perhaps epitomize uh, innovation in everything you do, but it's a term we use quite a lot. What does it mean to you? Yes, this is a good question. I think we, we could talk with this for hours, but uh, I will go maybe straight to the point. My idea of innovation in a destination, also in the DMO, DMO is a reflection of the destination. I think it's uh, to broke one law. Actually, maybe two. Let's, say, let's start with the first. The first law is we just to change that the idea that we always been we always act like this we always done like this as is in the past. I think this is one of the most complicated stuff to change in the tourist industry because it's it's really part dependence. Why if it's work? Some operators they ask me that, but why we should change if it's working now? This is the most tricky part. Okay, it could work now, but you, we already have the sensation, the feeling that it might not work maybe in, even next year or in the next couple of years. But we need to prepare. So we need to anticipate. So breaking this law, I think it's something um, really tricky and it's the most probably innovation, innovative part that we can do as a team. And the second law that we should grow, this is more even provocative. It's the client, the guest, is not always right. This is really important for us. Because if you come into the destination, as it's like if I come to you, Nick, to your house. I'm a guest. I can do whatever I want in your house. You are the host. You decide what you can do politely. We will have a nice evening together. Maybe we'll drink some wine or beer, whatever. But you are the host. You are the one that guides me. So it's the same with the guest, with the tourist guest. Let's say like this. That's what we call a guest with the tourist. Because once you're arriving to the destination, you can't do whatever you want. And also, like the industry, they can't always say, yes, you're going to do this, you're going to do this. Gonna... No, this is not possible anymore. If you want to keep the destination, the balance, and all the things that we have discussed in now. So for me, innovation is breaking, breaking these two laws.
You've been listening to Place-Based Innovation with myself, Nick Hall. The producer of this series is Ana Balaguer-Sanchez, production and editing by Dan Hopkins. The series is part of the Hospitality Innovation Tourism Supply Programme, which supports businesses in Northumberland, Newcastle and North Tyneside to meet challenges through innovation. The programme is funded by North of Tyne Combined Authority and delivered by Newcastle Gateshead Initiative, Food and Drink Northeast and NBSL. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get notified of future episodes. And if you've enjoyed today's podcast, why not take a moment to leave a review? Thanks, and we'll see you next time.